Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. And with me today to talk about Luke Guadagnino's Suspiria, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest with us today to help go through all six acts and an epilogue. <laughs> it's Alex Haney. Hello! How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Why don't you do the listeners a favor and introduce yourself to them? Uh, Yeah, so I'm Alex Heaney. I'm the editor-in-chief of Seventh Row, which is an online publication that um, we sort of, we specialize in doing deep dives on films or special topics. So I think one of the reasons I Michael wanted me to on this episode is because we've done a lot on Luca Guadagnino. We put out a special issue on um, a bigger splash, which had five articles on it, on like all of, all of the actors and also on the film. And then with Call Me by Your Name, we put out an issue that we turned into an ebook that had I think seven essays on the film. Um, so we've done a lot of thinking about that, um, and we we've done that for a bunch of other films too uh so yeah so i run that and, and write for that and you can find me on twitter at b west asked all right so yes the perfect guest to have on for our review of suspiria the remake the 1977 horror classic which we had a full classic episode on that you can find on your podcast feed right before this one before we get into the main review Let's just sprint through all the normal housekeeping stuff that we got to do. So you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show. Find us on Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. Give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. And, of course, go to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. And for as little as $1 an episode, you can help us to create more great content. And, of course, you can join our super cool Slack channel where people are arguing about Virtua Fighter. I have been paying a lot of attention today. Michael posted a picture of a kangaroo, and it's just devolved from there. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But hey, I was trying to end the Star Wars talk. Let me be honest here. You, to end a Star Wars discussion between, I lovingly say this, a bunch of nerds, you decided <laughs> to throw in a video game character. What were you thinking? Not much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. But anyway, you can become a part of that madness. By going to patreon.com slash the film stage show. And of course, as always, we are brought to you by Movie, the online streaming cinema, with the imminent death of Filmstruck. Oh. I know. I'm sorry, guys. Um, there's not many places to go to find truly great movies online. Luckily, Movie persists. Movie marches on into the cold, dark future that we have all found ourselves living in. And, um, you know, Halloween is over, October is coming gone, but because movies, film selections from their curators stick around for 30 days, you still got time to watch them. 
The final horrific October edition is The Howling, which arrived the same year as American Werewolf in London. And this Joe Dante film, for Gremlins fans out there, offered an entirely contrasting view of horror with this story of a woman news anchor wrestling with the many complexities of trauma. Harmonizing campy wit and tangible dread, The Howling is a quintessential 80s horror film. In addition, if you're one of the many people out there who's singing the praises of Burning, you can see another film from that director, Lee Chang Dong. That is Secret Sunshine, which is also on the platform now. So if you would like 30 days free of movie, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And that's it. We're done. Record time. All right. We can do it. We can do it now. We can talk about Suspiria. Again, the remake, the 1977 Dario Argento classic. This film, directed by Luca Guadagnino, stars Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, and Mia Goth. And here... And Tilda Swinton. (laughs) And Tilda Swinton. And Tilda Swinton. And here... Is the trailer. <laughs> At the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. Oh, she wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. Oh, she can see me. the dance of another you make yourself in the image of its creator i feel like i'm not even here yet all right that is the trailer for suspiria a movie which at the outset he was very closely the original dakota johnson plays Susie banyan a young woman from america who travels to germany to join an elite dance troupe and uh, it turns out that dance troupe may be a cover for a coven of witches. And we are here to talk about it. So let's do that. Um, we had a weird argument or spirited conversation about what exactly constitutes a spoiler in this film. <laughs> so <laughs> while there will be a spoiler section, fear not. Um, we're going we're gonna to do a quick yes or no, up or down vote, and uh, see if people who are listening to this, just to get an idea, uh, if we think that they should see this movie. So let's start with our guest, Alex. Yes or no, should people go see Suspiria? Yes, definitely. And in a cinema, because the sound is so intricate, you want to have the cinema experience. All right. Michael Snydell. Hmm. It sounds like a no. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 really, but Sandel I think it's pretty silence. fascinating. <laughs> okay. So if you if you I don't know. I, I this has been easily one of the most divisive movies of the year. So honestly, if you think this is going to be your jam, it might be your jam. If it's not, it's probably not. <laughs> All right. Not a yes or a no, but Michael often bucks trends here. Bill Graham. <laughs> no. All right, now I'm going to log in a not hearty, but still pretty certain no. So this should be a great conversation. Wait, so I'm the only one who liked it? You're the only person who's saying, yeah, go for it. Um, <laughs> so yes, you you may be doing some defense 
Oh boy. Okay. Look, I'm happy about Sorry, that though, because because <laughs> we've had a couple movies. Did we have a couple movies recently? We were just like, yeah, this movie sucks. Well, I, we did our own podcast episode on this at Seventh Row, and I spent the episode defending the film's intellectual ideas against it just being a visceral experience. And now I guess I have to defend it as a good film generally. Yeah, I think, um, well, we'll get Bye. into it, but I think that you can't argue that this film doesn't have ideas. <laughs> no, you so. can't argue that it doesn't have ideas. <laughs> I would love to see someone oh, say, no. this film has nothing on its mind. Because that person is a crazy person. <laughs> All right, yeah, so let's get in. Watch this movie. <laughs> I am all of it, all of it, because there's so much. All six <laughs> acts and an epilogue. Yes. Yeah, but you know what? It felt so much faster than the original to me. Oh, oh, Whoa. oh! This is going to be a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> there is inherent tension already. All right, so let's um. Let's kick it off. Let's give our nutshell reviews of Suspiria. Alex, as our guest, you have the floor. Ooh. Um, yeah, so I'm not a fan of the original Suspiria, um, but I am a fan of Luca Guadagnino. And I think the thing that really I really liked about the film, well, there's a lot of things, but um, I think it's really interesting in the context of his other films because especially like Call Me By Your Name is kind of his idol, and then this is his nightmare. It's like... Both of them look at things that are happening under the surface that you'd prefer to ignore. And in Call Me By Your Name, it's like when you ignore, when it's brought up to the surface, excellent things happen. And in Suspiria, terrifying things happen. And I think it's just such a rich film. Like the sound design is amazing. The costumes are amazing. The editing is wild. It has a lot of ideas, but it. I also don't think it's pummeling you with them. It's just kind of raising them. And if you don't want to engage with them that's fine and if you do for me anyway it's all the richer all right michael snydell yeah i i also think this is interesting in relation to luca's past films but specifically in relation to uh i i think one of the things i've talked about a lot is uh messiness as a virtue with uh guadagnino and i like all of his past films to varying degrees but i like them partly because i i find them to be a little bit of the best kind of like cultural magpie in the sense that like I am love uh, a bigger splash and call me by your name were films that were like culturally voracious, whether both behind the camera and in front of it in terms of the characters were so passionate about so many different things from philosophy to music, to literature. And I, and even behind the camera, when it came to aesthetics, I loved how I Am Love and Bigger Splash especially, you know, were at once reminiscent of, you know, a lot of the European art house in terms of Antonioni and um, uh, sorry, Rossellini, but also felt a lot more playful and also felt like that they didn't need to stay in these static modes or that it could just kind of go all over the place. Um, and that is one thing I – I like about that. And so it's fascinating that this film to me feels like the first time where the, the sheer amount of things that he's juggling um, seems to uh, extend beyond his grasp. Uh, I, I think that there, as we kind of alluded to a little bit, there are a lot of things going on in the backdrop of this film. There are a lot of illusions and equivalences being made between uh, large political events. And, and even then, there are 
this is this is uh, to get this quickly out of the way. This is a very strange uh, adaptation of Suspiria in that, as Brian already mentioned, it takes the beginning, but then it goes very much on its own path. This is a film more interested in council meetings than, you know, witchcraft as it exists in more uh, pop cultural visions. So it's, so it's in that way fascinating, but I think moment to moment, I found it kind of exhausting and befuddling, even though I found it so fascinating. Like even I, I guess the one thing I want to talk or the one thing I want to mention briefly is I find, for instance, the way that the camera moves in this movie so strange because not only – is this uh, this narrative so extended? Like it could take something could be thirty seconds in the original and make it twenty minutes. Like the camera as well takes the uh, often the longest path to uh, to a place. Like uh, the cinematography, which is by um, that Thai director who is uh, commonly known as Joe, and I don't want to mispronounce his name. It's his regular cinematographer, uh, and he was also the cinematographer on Call Me by Your Name. And yes, it, it, it's a it's a dreary color palette and things, but just when it terms comes to actual camera movements, um, it, it's laborious, but also extremely style or er, stylized and so unlike what you expect. Uh, given the color palette of this. I, so I think that's the weird thing about this is as much as parts of this were so frustrating and do kind of feel drab, there is a lot going on underneath. I'm just not sure that much of it cohered in a satisfying way for me by the end. All right, Bill Graham. Man, um, there is a lot going on in this film too much often. Um, I feel like the core of it, the heart of it, the idea of the witches in this school of dance, um, that actually kind of works for the most part. Uh, a lot of the other ancillary stuff really doesn't feel like it's, it's tethered to this film at all. It feels like it's just loosely something that's happening around these characters and I feel like that's that's the biggest wh- swing and whiff from this film, from Luca in general. I feel like at its core, he had an idea and he just got attracted to so much other things that were happening during this time period that honestly, if they were followed through and connected may work better. But since they're not that's what we're left with. And so it just doesn't work. It just adds a lot of heft and a lot of bulk to this film. That's unnecessary. Um, I enjoyed the dancing. I enjoyed Tilda Swinton doing her best Pina and expert, uh, impression. Um, it's, the, the dancing, honestly, like the first Suspiria, and I don't even know what we're calling it. Are we calling it Suspiria One? I don't know. Well, whatever. Uh, uh, Seventy-seven. <laughs> yeah, the seventy-seven version. Uh, we don't see, but like I think maybe ten seconds total of actual dance. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of weird that it is like takes place in like a school of of dance, and we very rarely ever, if any, like actually see anyone dance. It's like okay. 
And this film is like, no, 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 <laughs> we're definitely going to get that. So they, they pull up, put on a, a full on production at one point. Um, so I enjoyed that aspect, but man, I wish this film was just cut in half and just get rid of all of the fluff and focus in on, on the witches and everything like that. So, yeah, I, um, I didn't really, I don't, I don't know what to make of this movie. I'll be completely honest with you. I saw it on like Saturday and I was hoping, you know, we were originally going to record this podcast yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the 24 hours would give me more time to like really nail down some stuff. <laughs> and I guess I keep coming back to, to this idea that I've had that oftentimes a, a movie will squander a very simple story by trying to put too many ideas in it and then not handling any of them particularly well and thus shortchanging the story uh, and and failing to focus on funny little things like character in order to like find new ways of of bringing (laughs) bringing the the ideas in i'm reminded i was reminded watching this movie oddly enough of killing them softly Mm. um by andrew dominic and that was a that was a that was a problem movie for me. I feel like I sort of liked it, but I I definitely was like, you know, they really could have uh they could have they could have taken a backseat with the economic anxiety stuff. It's a little weird that these these like hardened gangsters are constantly watching like CNN money um <laughs> while playing poker. And this movie has like a similar big thing. Jim, they're big Jim Cramer fans, so. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> totally. And so this movie has a similar thing where like you know, the original Suspiria, like Bill, Bill makes a point. It's so focused on just like the idea of woman goes to dance school and is harried by witches that it doesn't even really take time to put dance in it. And this movie is, is like chock-a-block with ideas regarding like feminine power, the shifting tides of history, um, like the, the implicit like evil of voting for the wrong person, uh, just like the 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 strife in seventies Berlin, with um like the Bader Meinhof gang and all this other stuff, and it's just like it just it just spins out in so many directions, and then it it it's got like sort of the same weird problem that Split had, where it's like why are we spending so much time with this doctor? And I like I I don't know I just had a lot of trouble like nailing down what was most important to this movie. And then when we come to the finale where everything should sort of crystallize, I found a lot of the choices made just made things even harder to reconcile in my mind. So I am glad that we have Alex here who who likes this movie, clearly. And maybe <laughs> like I really because like it'd be it's easy to fall into the trap of I don't like this movie. I'm just going to pick holes. And if no one else likes the movie, they're going to be like, yeah, that's right. Like, what the hell is up with that? Sure. But I'm really hoping that like maybe you can snap some things into focus for me. And so like, even if I don't end up liking it more, I will still have a greater grasp perhaps of what it was attempting to do and can then fold that into my own impressions of it. Cause as it stands, you know, I walked out of the movie and I was like, you know, why would, why would you do this? Like <laughs> why, why, why even call this Suspiria? Like just make it a different movie. Like the, the items that are similar are so disparate that like with a couple of character name changes, you could pretty much be fine just calling this like 
six acts in an epilogue. I don't know. (laughs) But like, yeah, I don't know. Like even just so far as like the setting has changed because instead of being like in the middle of a deep, dark woods, it's, um, it's in the middle of Berlin. Like, was that the Berlin wall, by the way, that it was facing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking forward to talking about it, but I, I, this was not my cup of tea and I, um, I thought that, you know, maybe it didn't need to be six acts and an epilogue. And I think that maybe they could have, they could have like winnowed down some of the thoughts and ideas. And we we're we're giving a lot to Luca Guadagnino here, but the screenplay was actually by David. Uh, who wants to help me out here? Oh boy. How do you say it? <laughs> yes, I believe it is Kajanich. I, okay. I, sorry, I was listening to something with him. I believe that's correct. <laughs> Um, and so he, he wrote the screenplay for a bigger splash and, um, the terror and uh, apparently has also written the screenplay for the new pet cemetery. So makes me super curious what that movie is going to be like. There's no Berlin, I don't think so. Good. (laughs) If nothing else, this is in no way like an easy remake, (laughs) you know, for as many like, you know, uh, regurgitated remakes as we've had in the past few years. Like even you look at a lot of the bad slasher remakes, you know, this is, this is nothing like that. Like, right. Yeah. And that's, and that, I think that that is something to be, we talked about it on our Suspiria 77 episode. It's something to be lauded that they didn't just try to do that again, you know? And I, but I just wish that they had just chosen like two big ideas. (laughs) And then focused on those, but um, yeah, I've, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm eager to get into this. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So I'm curious. Yeah. All three of us really loved Suspiria '77. So Alex, I, 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 I don't really love it. I, okay. I I like it. I like it. I don't I don't think it's a masterpiece. Like Michael's you. Michael's already pulling back his opinion. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I told you guys I like Deep Red better. I just want to. I do want to pull back a little bit. Like I think Suspiria's there's a lot of good stuff to talk about in there. I don't have the same love for it as you two. All right. Anyway, you were generally positive on the original Suspiria. <laughs> I'm curious, Agreed. Alex, um, <laughs> about what in the original, like you didn't like, or just like, I guess, you know, just comparing and contrasting the two, like, what was it about this one? Do you think this is a, a good remake even like would you call this a remake i know i'm throwing a lot of questions at you but i've been left <laughs> okay. in a state by this one at a time one at a time. time yeah okay. um okay well i guess i'll start with how what i thought of the original so yeah. um i am not saying it's a bad movie it is just not a movie for me um so i went to see it um, with a friend of mine who loves Suspiria. And at the end, she was like, yeah, Alex, this is not your movie. Um, she just looked at me. She's like, yeah, no, I get it. You didn't <laughs> like it. And I'm like, no. And I mean, that movie, it's funny. I was looking at my watch basically every five minutes during the original Suspiria. I was so bored. Um, and I think, I think that's because generally what I like in movies is I like stories that are about characters. I really like character focused stories and though, like I'm willing to give on that. If the, if the film has a lot of ideas and makes me think I'm not really interested in horror 
as like just just for like I know some people go to horror like they go see Saw because like they want to scream. Mm-hmm. That has no appeal for me. I mean, I go to Weepies because I want to cry, but I just don't do that with horror. Um, and I think like Weepies, those are character movies, right? So, um, so I think it was kind of the perfect storm of just it's a really thin. The original, it's a really thin story. It's really badly acted. And the characters are almost non-existent. It's really like a visual, visceral experience. So it's it's just not my kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and I think I think the horror films that I like, because I still kind of consider myself new to horror, but I mean, that's not really true anymore. Um, but I'm not like a hardcore horror fan. Um you know, like the horror movies I love of the last few years are like Thelma and Personal Shopper, which like even you could argue about whether or not they're horror even. Um, where is I going with this? Um, <laughs> so, so I think what I like more about the the new one is it does have I have those kind. It does still have a rich visual and oral language um but i i think the characters are richer they're still sort of more stand-ins for ideas than they are individuals but they at least have wants and desires as opposed to sort of just being vague women screaming um or being targeted or targeting um and I think for me, I mean, it's interesting the way you're talking about how the film has a zillion ideas. Like, I didn't really think of it as a film that was specifically about the Bader-Meinhof stuff that was going on or any of those things. I think those are more just ways of raising ideas that then what happens inside the school can sort of reflect what's happening in in reality. And you can see it in different ways. Um, So I think that's why I preferred... Um, Luca Guadagnino's film. I think that happens a lot. I found a lot of the directors that I really like, um, contemporary directors, they tend to be people who love older films and are hugely influenced by older films that I just don't really like, but I like what they take from it and how they reframe it. So in that Um, way, I'm I'm curious what, what beyond like, like we said, the initial setup, like, do you feel like he he mined Suspiria for anything thematically or kind of was it all like, do you really just love that he like stripped it and just did something completely new with it? Um, well, I think, so, I mean the, the question of why call it Suspiria, I think there are a few expectations that that sets up for better or for worse that wouldn't have existed without that. So for starters, um, you know, the original Suspiria, it starts with this outrageous rainstorm um, and the and the rain is really loud, and it's it's this sort of it's very very memorable. So when you see that there's two scenes of rain in the new Suspiria, and um, so when you see those, if you have seen the original, which, which nobody f- has a fucking umbrella ever. Like, <laughs> going on in this goddamn movie like the the only fucking hat that's used at any point is someone's like i, I don't even know what it's like the bear skin like like uh thing with the with the ears and it's like turned up and by the time he takes it off you realize he's bald so you don't even know why he didn't just give it to his friend that actually has fucking hair 
You're just like, what, what's going on with these goddamn goons? I mean, Why? they don't pay them at the dance school, right? They just give them room and board. So how would they buy an umbrella? Bill, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the detectives <laughs> that live in this place. Oh, I Bill. know. <laughs> oh, my God. First of all, I would expect no less from you. God damn it. Second of all. I don't even I don't even know what second of all is. Anyway, <laughs> rain scenes, Alex. So, I mean, continue. I think. <laughs> so I think, and I think what this film is very interested in is in cycles and the way cycles repeat and patterns repeat. Um, you know, a thing that happens within the school is you see several of the students sort of go through a similar trajectory, and where one is kind of like seen as special and then, you know, that might actually be towards use towards nefarious purposes. And it's once you see it happen with more than one student, you kind of understand that it's not just this one student story, but this is this is the pattern that they go through. And by virtue of the fact that you're it's also taking place when it is, you know, it's a time of rebuilding and rebirth, but you know, it's still the same people and they, there's some talking about how, you know, former Nazis now have certain kinds of power in the government. So you're seeing this idea of rebirth, but it's still similar going on in the outside world and also within the school. And you're sort of really drawn, it really draws attention to those patterns, starting with the, oh, I recognize the rain scene, but then this is not quite the rain scene that I saw in the original Suspiria, and then we get another one, which is a little bit closer to it, but it's still like a little bit off. So even the way that that frames that it's kind of like the original, but going to be doing something different is interesting. And I think, I think the other thing is that like what people, my understanding anyway, of what people love about the original, since I obviously don't share this, um, is it's just a really, you know, the production design is amazing. You've never seen something that looks like this. And I mean, I would agree with that. It just wasn't enough for me. Um, and, you know, it's just the way it looks and the way it feels, it's just a very intense experience. And I think by calling this film Suspiria, it primes you to pay attention to these things, to pay attention to, um, you know, how it's shot and how it's edited and, um, and the sound. And so you're sort of tuned in for these kinds of sensory experiences in a way that you might not be if you were just sort of a bigger Splash fan and you thought, oh, I'm going to go see the new film with Tilda Swinton and Dakota Johnson. <laughs> and you're expecting them to be lying around on an Italian beach having sex. And then you're like, what? Yeah, no, you wouldn't get that from this. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it also sets it up as a horror film early on, too, in a way that, I mean, the film takes its time before you start seeing all the levels of the horror. Um, It's just kind of a lot of dread and fear and paranoia before, you know, you're actually starting to see witches or have any sense of what that means. So I think framing it as another Suspiria um, puts it into that context does it need to be another superior like i could have named it something different but my understanding is luca wanted to remake suspiria because of the sort of um 
place that it had held in his dreams and nightmares as a child. And so I think he was really inspired by that film and wanted to tell a similar story, but obviously it was going to be, you know, filtered through him and his screenwriter. I find that an interesting idea because like this movie for me is so far off from what makes Suspiria kind of the classic that it is, but without doing that thing that a remake will sometimes do where it's like, I want to correct the wrongs Mm. of this. Um, Mm, Yeah. So like I, there's a, um, this this is weird. It's a novel uh, or a novella by Victor Lavelle called the, uh, the black, the ballad of black Tom, which um, he wrote as kind of a corrective sort of refutation to HP Lovecraft, specifically his like probably most racist story, the horror uh, horror at horror at Red Hook, I think. And so he's basically telling that story through the eyes of one of the people who is like the shadowy villain of of the 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 horror at Red Hook. And like that whole novella is this crazy way of like paying homage while at the same time sort of being like, if this is like why you're this is why you're scared of people and this is why that's like harmful and like you're creating your own enemy so if you know i don't know just plug for victor lavelle's book it's really good if you like hp lovecraft and it is perhaps one of like the greatest things that i've ever read that functions in that way but like watching this movie i didn't i didn't really feel because i could see someone saying like well dario argento just wanted to murder women and so i'm gonna make a movie that like gives them the power back or does something like that. And this movie doesn't feel like it's really doing that per se. And I don't, and you know, the original Suspiria is such like a lean, mean little like fillet knife of a film that to come at it with like a butcher's cleaver like this is, is very strange because it just feels like there's so much on top of it. And it, it doesn't feel like he said like, what a missed opportunity or like what a rich stomping ground you know that like these fertile fields that i could plow and like raise up crops of a whole different kind than argento did it just it it feels so removed that there was a point where i was like i don't i don't like i don't feel like people who liked the original suspiria are going to get anything out of this and i don't feel like people who disliked it are gonna it's not gonna like reinterpret or like put through a filter the original in any way that's going to make them think differently about it. Now, clearly you didn't like the original, but you liked this one, but it seems almost like you liked it because it was so not the original. And so for me, that's just like a very strange place to come from. It's like a very, it's a very weird kind of like tact for a filmmaker to do. Yeah. I mean, Oh no, I'm sorry, Alex, please go ahead. Um, I think it maybe takes the original Suspiria more as a skeleton idea than it is trying to remake it in a very exact way. I mean, I'm thinking about um, the film Oslo August 31st by Joachim Trier, which is technically an adaptation of Le Feu Follet. And um, like they had first seen the film, then they read the book, and then they turned this movie, but I mean, turned it into a, a film. It's just sort of the only thing that is really has to do with the original is it's it's the day in the life of a guy who's suicidal in a city. 
that's basically what they've remade. And otherwise, it's completely different because it's set in Oslo, not in France. It's about a heroin addict, and it's about this very specific um, milieu that he finds himself in. So they've taken, like, the sketch of an idea that it's, you know, about a... Uh, about a guy, we follow him, and is this going to be his last day? Is he going to commit suicide? And in that sense, the Suspiria is a similar thing. You take this innocent American who goes to Europe to a dance school, all excited, and then discovers that there's something much scarier under the surface. That's kind of the degree to which it's taken from the original. And it's inspired a little bit, um, I mean, the the aesthetic style is very different, but the fact that it is very stylized is a thing that is that they have in common. Okay. All right. Interesting. Before uh, we continue on that, Michael Snydell, you had something to say? Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I, again, I, I, I'm not saying that you're getting into generalizations, but it is interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I've already spoken about how polarizing this seems to be to general uh, to general film fans, but it, it is interesting to to see uh, that um, I, one particular writer I wanted to mention is Alexandra Heller Nicholas, who's a who's an excellent writer about horror and actually uh, wrote a book about Suspiria. Um, so I, I think it's actually one of the only. I think it is the only English language book uh, fully devoted to Suspiria, actually. But she's someone who had, even in that original text, uh, you know, seen some pretty extensive, um, you know, feminist themes and uh, d- things of philosophy and connecting it to, you know, the um, the sorry, what what is the size? I, I can never remember the name of the book. That's like size from the deck. Yes, that is exactly right. But anyways, my point being that like um, it, it is interesting specifically to see her writing and I, I must admit that I didn't necessarily see uh, those deep readings that she had of the original Suspiria. So to see that this film almost seems to be an expansion of so many of those things that are just insinuations or suggestions that – uh, people were taken even, you know, just from Jessica Harper's sense of movement and the way that the camera works and, you know, creating some larger, uh, you know, a type of theory about that. It, it is interesting to see. I, I guess all I'm saying is that I don't think um, it's been quite one to one in terms of w- how Suspiria fans are reacting to this. In fact, I would say that, again, some of the people who are writing about Suspiria, especially in academic ways, see see this as, you know, maybe not a, a you know, extremely faithful remake, but a an extension of a lot of ideas that were there in the original. But to me... So I just want to say that is that is out there as well. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm aware that it's out there. But I mean... I'm going to I'm going to say one thing that's going to sound glib and so I'm going to start off by saying something that doesn't sound glib. Um you know, you can get all that stuff from Suspiria the 90 minute or like, you know, what is it? The I don't know, an hour and a half long or a little more movie. And you can read into that or you can just sit there and get like whipped along on this candy-colored nightmare. And this movie is like two and a half hours long and so it feels a little like in that way, it's sort of like on BoJack Horseman, how he just like can't let a joke go. He has to like 
ask if you got it and then explain it to you and then ask if you got it again. It's <sighs> just, I don't know if it's like a lack of faith in it or if you just think that like the other, the other sort of um, supporting examples that you have are so compelling that you need to have them in there. But I don't think the film is didactic at all. I don't think it's telling you what to think. I think that's maybe the problem that people have with it and that that's almost what some, I don't know if that's what you mean, but I think that's what some people mean when they say it has too many ideas. I think it's throwing a lot of ideas at you and whether you're interested in them or not, that's kind of up to you. You can still get a lot out of it as a visceral experience of just enjoying the sound and how beautiful it is to look at and how wacky the stuff that is going on. And if you want to engage with it on a more intellectual level, you can. And if you don't, you can kind of just let it pass over you. And like, I, I think that it's the context is there more as a way to raise ideas in your head so that when you're looking at what happens within the dance school and within the coven, that they don't seem completely divorced from reality because you start to see parallels between what's happening there and what's happening in Germany now or what was happening in Germany during the war and how those things are similar and also how they've changed. And then you can sort of that reflects and refracts what's going on at the school. Um, but I mean, I think it's also just a fun movie to watch, even if you're not thinking about those things. I think that just sort of enriches it. And certainly my experience was, I think because of the way it's edited, there's such a density of information that you can't possibly intellectually understand everything that's going on you know that it has an effect on you but you don't necessarily know why and I think that just may be frustrating for some people but um, the flip side is is I think I still got a lot out of it on first viewing I think it's just going to get richer and richer the more times you watch it hmm. I want to respond to that but I, I want to get into spoilers to be able to because I, I, I somewhat agree with Alex but I, I want to speak specifically about the structure which yeah. is which is I, I which is why I, I think that I, I guess a prelude to spoilers is I, I would agree with what you were saying about how you could look at it those two different ways but I think in how it's structured and what it requires you to take especially from near the end that it does require you to make a lot of that window dressing that I do find fascinating and intellectually stimulating, I, I have to make jumps to add them to the text. So I, <laughs> being very vague <laughs> right now, I, I guess I, I guess I'd like to jump into spoilers. And again, Alex, I, I really hope you don't feel attacked. I, I'm genuinely finding it really interesting. To, oh no, you, you know, should have heard what my editors at the seventh row did on our podcast. They actually attacked me. I was and about to say, said, I feel like I'm being really nice right now. I feel like this like, is the no, best I've ever been. There and let Alex speak. Cause I just kept yelling. No, no, you're wrong. Cause my, so, so what, what you're saying, I guess, you know, it, th there's going to be a divide here because you say like, even if you don't, get all the things or like if it's too much ideas like you can just sit back and enjoy the movie but like i didn't enjoy this movie on a narrative level and i found that like i found myself like hopping between like really trying to take it as like a mother-like allegory 
you know, Michael, not to trigger you by bringing up Mother oh, God again. Damn it. But like, so I was either doing that or I was like, maybe I should swap and just go come at it like, you know, a, a character study. But like to my interpretation or read of it, like the characters were like still as thin and maybe not even as clever as the ones in the original Suspiria. And so like. Well, that movie could zip by and it didn't really bother me because it was going so fast and because so much crazy shit was happening. This movie, I was like, well, I can't find myself invested in the characters. I don't really know most of them at all. Like, I'm I'm going by haircuts on a bunch of them. And mm-hmm. and then so like I just for me, There's some it was, great haircuts. There, oh, my God. Movie, the haircuts though. in this movie. <laughs> like if you like long hair, if you like short hair, if you like natural hair, if you like treated hair, it's all over some the place. Great it's great. <laughs> Um, you know, shout out to, uh, the hair and makeup department. I I was going to try to look them up, but this is a very long, this is a very long IMDb page. Um, what was I going to say? So basically like, just for me, like everything you're saying where you're, you're like, even if this doesn't work, you know, you can still enjoy the movie. Unfortunately for me, I have to like revert to, but I didn't find the movie or the story it was telling or the characters that we were following particularly interesting either. But I think we I mean, will need to get into spoilers to really dig into that. I mean, that's fair. I can say one thing that is not spoilery okay. <laughs> about the characters, which I think, I mean, in the original Suspiria, Susie is, I mean, she's just a pretty face. There's really nothing else that's going on there. And at least in, in the new one, a lot of the characters are are completely two-dimensional. But I think... Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton's two characters, you have some sense of their backstory, you have some sense of what they want, you have some sense of um, how they get what they want and the kinds of strategizing that they do. And I think that's that's sort of enough to propel it. And it's certainly a lot more going on there than there was in the original. And I, I mean, I can see that you're sort of saying, well, if it's 90 minutes, it's okay to have characters this thin, but if it's two and a half hours, then the characters had better be exponentially more interesting. And I'm not sure if that's the case. That's sort of, your mileage may vary. But I do think that there is a lot, that they are a lot richer in this film. And not to just keep, like, comparing it to other films, but I guess, like, there was a part of me that was, like, again, like, you know, I could handle this if this were a mother thing, or I could handle this if this were a whiplash thing, you know? But, like, it just never it never like committed in my head to one of those. And so it never got interesting enough for me to even say like, well, if I just have to get through the psychologist in order to get back to, you know, the Tilda Swinton, Dakota Johnson whiplash, then that's fine. But like, I just, I never had that. Um, I am curious though, Bill, you've been quite quiet. Well, I mean, I, I got kind of shut down after my uh, rant about the rain. So I've, I've been biding my time, biding my time. Um, so, yeah, for you, Bill, like, you know, you, you're you're kind of on my side. We didn't really like this movie. Like, are, are you are you picking up what I'm putting down or did you kind of have a different negative reaction to it? I mean, I I agree with I don't know. <laughs> this this fucking movie is weird, man. Um, yep. it's 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 got a lot going on, and and you know I think I think we keep kind of circling back to that, and certainly I, I understand that. And forgive me, my memory is terrible. Uh, it's Alex, right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, perfect. <laughs> Starting off on the right note. Bill, um, who has the memory of a goldfish. Yes. Um, you know, I I get what you're saying about kind of uh, this film working in cycles and maybe maybe how much it's trying to reiterate for for me and Brian kind of reading that is it actually delving into different topics and and finding a new way to say something that for the most part I think we already kind of understand I think your reading of it is that there's a lot more deeper meaning behind some of these things whereas we just feel like narratively we wish it coalesced into something more substantial as like how it connects back versus just the tendrils of maybe um circular you know waves of history and things like that and and i can appreciate that and i can appreciate that that's something that i didn't really kind of uh digest and and you know glean from this film on my first watch having watched it earlier today in the middle of the day so um but i just i just feel like there's there's just so there's such an interesting idea at the heart of this film with just the general witches and and that particular storyline that i feel like it it does a disservice to add all of these extra layers and again i'm not sure what this has to do with like luca's nightmare of like this film because it's very much like a reimagining of what this time period was like because the original film takes place in berlin right around this time period and this film takes place in Berlin around this time period as well. It's what? <clears throat> Do we know the the year? Is it, is it actually 1977? I think it is. Okay. It's definitely the 70s anyway. The first act yeah. is is named Berlin sometime. I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I can't I okay. think I feel like it's 1977. Okay. Well, I mean, it feels like Luco or his screenplay writer, whichever one, and I'm sure they work hand in hand. It feels like they were basically like, wait, 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 let's put a pause. Let's actually explore that time period. Whereas, you know, I don't feel like the original Suspiria had any inclination or any, any desire to explore that. And I feel like they get, they got so bogged down in trying to explore that time period, maybe as, because they felt it was so rich with all of this other subtextual stuff. But I don't know. I mean, having seen both of these films so close together, I don't have any real love for either of them. I enjoyed the first Suspiria a lot, but it, I mean, I literally watched it like two weeks ago. So it's not like it's, it's got a ton of, hold over me that i was bringing into this film i mean i barely digested the first one so coming into (laughs) this one i was just like okay this is interesting and then and then it just keeps going down these different winding paths and so there is a visual flair to this film that i think 
Yes, Alex, you bring up a good point. If they called it anything but Suspiria, maybe people would be really thrown off by what's going on in this film. But honestly, I don't know how much, how many people have actually seen the original Suspiria and how much of that is kind of like the legend of that film as well, right? And maybe maybe that's where a lot of audiences might be jumping on on board with this film just saying oh they remade it well let me go check out this one and it's like ooh okay um <laughs> i hope you know what the fuck you're getting into cuz this movie you know doesn't really care if you're not paying attention to certain aspects and things like that or if you're not if you're not here to see dance troupe drama you know um, because it's, it's very much has the time and has the place for it. And I feel like Lucas films are starting to stretch into this phase where they just get longer and longer. I felt like this with the bigger splash too, where I felt like he had a core, a couple of core ideas that just spiral and spiral and spiral to the point where you just don't know where the film is even going anymore. And because of the way the place that that shot in, you're kind of like, yeah, fuck it. Like this is kind of a virtual vacation, right? (laughs) It's, it's beautiful and everything like that. And this film, again, it looks tremendous, but I'm just not sure where he really wanted to seek his teeth into because it doesn't feel like he he really kind of you know chomps down at any point it feels like he's nibbling over here and nibbling over there and nibbling over there and i just want him to focus and settle and and just really rein in like i would love to see a 90 minute luca guadagnino movie like what the fuck would that be like you know so i don't know i am um, i have an answer for us as to when this film takes place okay because, as we all will recall from the many uh, news articles that are heard throughout the movie, this uh, this film takes place during the hijacking of Lufthansa Flight 181. Yes. Right. All right. So that is the 13th through the 18th, October 1977. Okay. So this movie takes place over five days in October 1977. Hmm. Can we speak about spoilers now? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I will. I, I will. Hear what Michael has to say. About <laughs> Michael's like just sitting in the corner, like I want to open my Christmas present now. Can I do it? <laughs> the last thing I'd like to say is is just like on that concept of a remake. When we talked about classic Suspiria, Suspiria classic, um, I did say like I have, I am going to have to erase from my mind the original in order to try to even watch the new one because like. Yeah. When when it's like if someone's like I'm gonna get you a pizza and then it's like a piece of lettuce with some tomatoes on it and it's like this isn't a pizza and it's like but it looks sort of like a pizza and it's still like tomatoes on top of another thing and it's like but you're missing a lot of parts this isn't exactly what I was expecting it's sort of like that and so I didn't want to be holding like the classic Suspiria over it I knew it wasn't gonna be short I knew it wasn't gonna be a weird synth laden nightmare with like goblin and pretty pinks and yellows and reds. 
and I just it's it's just still but it's still just strange to me like how far away this is like it, it still struck me as strange like just how deeply different it was even on like a visual and narrative level um but yes Michael Snydell I'm going well, to now I, officially I ring the bell <laughs> where <laughs> there's no actual bell um we're in spoilers I demand now. a bell. <laughs> I will. Would okay. you like me to find the sound of a bell? No. No. Okay. No. 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 <laughs> if my Add cat was in here, I could just hold the cat up and shake it in front of the microphone. <laughs> well, the, there is one thing. There's one tidbit I realized I, I didn't mention. I, you know, Bill was saying that it doesn't seem like uh, Dario Argento was as interested in these different things. But I will say that Dario Argento and his uh, co-writer. Um, uh, Daria Nicolodi, um, they actually became obsessed with the history of witchcraft in Europe while mm-hmm. uh, while writing that screenplay. So it, it is interesting that both of these scripts, uh, the the writers became interested in different things. And in the case of the new one, uh, Kajanich became obsessed with 1970s German politics and contemporary dance. <laughs> so those were his two interests. Okay, so on to my actual thing. So here's why I have a little bit more difficulty with that particular, you know, like uh, multi-layered interpretation that you were saying, Alex. Mm-hmm. I think that this film, by virtue of constantly interrupting and bisecting the story into um, – the the school and the character of oh my let me oh sorry uh dr joseph klemper i i think by virtue of constantly interrupting those those things that are in the backdrop whether they be um you know the Bader uh, meinhof group whether they be the berlin wall whether it's the division that's also within the coven whether, you know, all of these many different, um, you know, cultural uh, touchstones that they're bringing in, they, by virtue of having both of those stories and needing to have both of them come to an emotional catharsis, I have difficulty in being able to follow only one. Because there, because I think what's weird about this film is that it, Parts of it feel um, at once obvious and also like very obfuscated. So you you have, you know, you have, for instance, all of these cultural events that are just very out in the open and not didactic, but certainly very um, pushed to the forefront or, or foregrounded, I, I guess I should say. And, and so by having those, but then having you know, if we're going to talk about the act system specifically, I guess it's five and six becomes far more ambiguous. And I'm, I'm, uh, I am objectively fine with ambiguities other than the fact that those ambiguities become kind of maddening when earlier parts of the film want to have all of these, um, all of these ideas that seem, you know, relatively obvious and seems like they are rich. Like, you know, if we're, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with Brian and Bill that the characters aren't rich here. I, I adore Dakota Johnson, and I wasn't 
as in love with this role with her. But like when it just comes to the scenes, for instance, in the mirrored rooms with Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton interacting with each other, like I found that incredibly compelling. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I, I think and, and I think Brian, even if he wouldn't necessarily articulate it um, as awkwardly as I am right now, um, he he found some frustration when we get to the climax, which has, you know, a number of different parts. And I, I guess we could talk about each. But again, it goes back to jo- Dr. Joseph Klemper, which is confusing to me on a number of ways. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, on one level, I have to admit that I find the ways that they were putting out fake news, that that's not Tilda Swinton utterly bizarre because when you consider how much of the rest of this movie is about like feminine energy for instance so it's just like it's just there seems to be so many contradicting forces here and then when you consider that then literally the last scene returns to dr joseph klemper and this story of the holocaust and i I guess i I guess the fundamental thing that i took a very long time to say is just that (laughs) these two uh, these two parts don't c- coalesce for me. I, and so like the more ambiguous, the more like uh, powerfully strange parts, you know, whether they be dreams or whether they be the, you know, the, the final sequence where it's a, a power shift or even, you know, the strangeness of just walking down halls and just hearing laughs like on, you know, one you know, one side of literally the the sound design is it, it is like incredible and interesting and like uh, suggestive, but ultimately it doesn't it doesn't it feels totally at odds with the ultimate story this tries to tell. Given the climax and even earlier, where they are constantly interrupting their own story. So I guess my super simple question is what did you make of these two parts being placed side by side? I mean, to me, I think, I think the thing that is in common is I think this is very much a film about performance and masks. And so, I mean, it's a bit more obvious how it's about performance and masks within the dance company, because as a dancer, you are literally performing and you're sort of giving up your autonomy and your body in order to, you know, do somebody else's choreography. And then the horror, and this is when that's taken to extreme, which is you're not just following a script of how to how to do the choreography, but you now no longer have any control over what's happening to your body. Somebody else controls you entirely. And I think there, there's resonances with that, with like the... The, well, maybe not the Holocaust, but World War II and sort of, you know, the good German, um, that they're drawing connections between sort of fundamental ideas about horrifying things that humans do. Like if you were to, you know, give up your autonomy to the sense that you're like, okay, I'm going to follow Hitler. He seems to have some power. We'll see how that goes. That it might start off, you know, relatively small like oh i'm just doing somebody else's choreography but then before you know it you've lost all control so i think that these things are sort of reflecting each other and then i think the other thing that's going on when you're asking about what's the purpose of the doctor 
um, is that this is a story that's about people putting on masks and putting on per- and be- and performing. Like Dakota Johnson's character puts on many masks. You know, she starts off and she's, oh, I'm just a little girl from Ohio and I don't know anything. Right. And the the more the film progresses, the more you realize that is itself a performance, because even when, you know, there there's a story that she's telling about when she she snuck away to New York to see um, the company's dance and they're asked, you know, Mm. were you punished? And she says, yes. And you get this sense of her, you know, having leading this double life, even when she was. Um, living in this sort of religious community that she was, you know, pretending to be innocent enough to sort of get by there, but was leading this secret life. And then you, there's the similar thing going on in the dance school where she's, oh, I'm so innocent, but you're already aware that that's a performance that she crafted in her life in the U.S. And then when she and I guess it's Mia Goth, they go and they sneak in to try and find some records and Dakota Johnson spots them uh, stabbing the cops. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you, you start to get this awareness that she has some awareness that there's more going on in this company than just dance. We don't know exactly what she knows, but you know that there's she knows that there's something off and she's not bothered. <laughs> Yeah, because there's a question, you know, when because when Tilda Swinton uses the other woman's body to sort of make Dakota Johnson a better dancer, um, how much does Susie know? Does she know that somebody somebody's body is being destroyed so that she can jump higher? Um, and if she does, is she okay with it? If she doesn't know specifically, but she knows something nefarious is going on, but she's kind of ignoring it. I mean, that's isn't that what happened in the Holocaust? Is you knew something was happening to the Jews, but, you know, it wasn't in front of you, so you could kind of ignore it. So I think what the film is really doing is it's setting up these parallels just between about human nature and about, um, you know, what it is that, that we're, who we're pretending to be, who we really are, how much we're ignoring, and the sort of the masks that you put on. Because what's happening with the doctor, he's... He's presented as, oh, I'm just this old man and, like, I miss my wife. And I'm old and so I must be innocent. And then we start to understand that, you know, he actually might know what happened to his wife. He might have even been kind of responsible. That it's not just this pretty little picture of a man, an old man and an old woman at their uh, country house which is sort of what we're presented as he's just missing her at the beginning. And, you know, the, the idea of what's happening post-war and that, you know, Nazis are now pretending to not be Nazis. They're just government officials. Um, that the idea is that people just keep taking on these new masks and they put on a performance of who they are. And I think even the fact that the film has a structure is it's drawing attention to the fact that this is a story and that you're telling a story and that, it, you know, that this is a performance in six acts with an epilogue. Um, it's drawing attention to the fact that this is about a film that's about performance and about the masks that people wear. Are, are we supposed to take that Tilda Swinton playing the old man is also kind of adding to what you're talking about with like masks and stuff like that? I mean, I think like, 
I think like, it, what the it, fuck it, is going on there? I, I don't think, I mean, I don't really think there's a one-to-one correlation with everything that you can say, this means this mm, and this means sure, that, sure, but I think, sure. but I think it's part, it's, you know, that it's of a piece with it that you have, uh-huh. you know, even this character is himself, somebody dressed up as this character, as the actor playing this character. Uh, one thing I was curious about was, and you mentioned her like inability to jump very high, and how we're supposed to be led or supposed to be uh, of the understanding that maybe Dakota Johnson knows why she's able to jump a little bit higher. But this is very much like a. I don't know. It's a it, it looks like incremental difference. Like if anything, like I didn't really notice that she was able to jump higher. All I saw was her able to pick up her knees and like create more space underneath her, but like her physical body doesn't go any higher. And so I was just like, I don't know. I was waiting for her to actually like be able to leap fairly high <laughs> out of out of the blue and that would have given me something where it would be like, okay, Dakota Johnson, like you definitely noticed that you jumped pretty high that time, right? It's, like It's the kind of thing though where it's like you can't have her not be able to jump that well or else she never would have been able to join the company anyway. But you also can't have her jump like inhumanly high. Because like, give me, give me something like, <laughs> it's like a very want, difficult line to tread. Like at that I level want, of I perfection, her, I you know, it's like a to, game of inches. Like, like when I do like training, right? Like we jump onto boxes or we jump onto plates or stuff like that. And it's like, okay, at one point you're not able to jump onto that box. And then from that point on, boom, you're able to jump on that box. I want her to jump on that box. Like, Yes, that's what I want. I want her to have some kind of thing where Tilda's like, look, by the end of this, you're not performing this fucking part unless you can jump onto this chair. <laughs> and she's like, oh, boy, I got to train. I got to train. Right, the whiplash like, kind okay, of thing. I mean, yeah. the flip you side want is, a Rocky is, montage. <laughs> I mean, but the flip side is if she suddenly got exponentially better, sure. it wouldn't be something that she could just ignore. Like, you don't just magically become so much better without magic. So that's kind of right? my issue with the movie, though. Um, as we've as we have now established, this movie takes place over the course of five days, and I don't know. Like it, it's it's really weird because the movie kicks off with um, Chloe Grace Moretz's character Patricia, like running to the doctor and being like, you know, at first they they gifted me things like perfect sleep and like better balance and stuff. And it it made it seem like she was like an active participant in the almost literal deal with the devil that she was making. Um, And we we don't really see that with uh, Susie, played by Dakota Johnson. Like she comes in. She's already pretty great. She, you know, Tilda Swinton uses her to to beat up a girl nearly to death in in the practice room. But like. We never see her we never see her being like offered gifts of those kind. Her sleep is always troubled. And it feels like the compressed timeline, which in the original was just like a function of the story because like shit's gonna go crazy immediately. In this movie, it almost hurts just the fact that it's like she's come in, she's so good that she's already becoming the protagonist of this thing. 
that she okay this was another crazy thing has anyone here seen the movie i think it's called the iron monk i don't believe so. i don't believe so seen okay. what i don't sorry I th- my connection is cutting it and out oh i think it's called the iron monk it's from um oh no it's chow chow young fat and one of the guys oh are you talking about sean william scott I yeah. know this movie. <laughs> Bulletproof yes. Monk is that Bulletproof one? <laughs> Monk. I think that's oh, what my. I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so in Bulletproof Monk, <laughs> this is a terrible segue <laughs> and I apologize. <laughs> Sean William Scott is super good at like karate and stuff because he watches like Kung Fu The Legend Continues or something. Like you see him in a movie theater like practicing and that seemingly is what Dakota Johnson has done because they're like, she has no formal training and like never went to a school dance. And she's like, well, I watched the the film of it at the library and I saw you like three times in person. And she's like doing really well. And it's it was just like so weird because you never feel the push pull like like you said, Alex, you know, she comes in and she's like, oh, I'm just like a, a down home Mennonite girl from Ohio. And then. You know, when when Tilda Swinton's like, you know, how did it feel to dance the protagonist? And she's like, I it it's, it's how I imagine it feels to like fuck. And I was like, there's mm-hmm. no, f- there, there, you know, this is ironic. There's no fucking way that a girl from Ohio who's a Mennonite who is still projecting that way is going to talk this way. So clearly something's up with her, but she doesn't seem thrown by it. So maybe she was always just kind of this way and is still keeping it up for some reason. She's like keeping a lot of like secrets to herself. And the the real problem that I have with this whole question of like her complicity or not is at the end we find out that she is Mother Suspiriorum. Mm-hmm. So like the whole movie on a narrative storytelling level is meaningless. It's it's it 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 leads up to this twist that's like, oh, so all of her stuff is pointless because she was never seeding her soul or like being drawn in by the promise of the vague fame that comes with being a modern interpretive dance star with an obscure company from Germany. Um, and then she she just is, she already was. Like the the whole thing that really drew me in about the witch is that you see this girl who has done nothing wrong, but the way that society hates and villainize, villainizes, mm-hmm. that, that sounds right. Vilifies. Vilifies. Thank you. Women <laughs> is um like drives her towards signing the black book and becoming a witch. Like, and that is a powerful idea because she's basically like in the Ballad of Black Tom, another plug for the book, it is like saying, okay, all of your hatred and all of the pain you're inflicting upon me is only going to serve to turn me into the thing that you have feared that I already was. But I'm going to use it, like that power, to basically like come back at you and like get the things that like you were already hating me for. And in this movie, it's like, I guess she showed up to to lay waste to a coven that had like an election that didn't go the way she liked. <laughs> but then in addition to that, she like doesn't seem to save the person whom she grows closest to. 
and or, or I guess like the two to three different people that she grew Blanc, to. That she didn't save Blanc. To? She didn't save Mia Goth's character, Sarah. Sarah. She was Sarah, right? Well, she gives her a mercy. I mean, like her intestines were pulled out at that point, weren't they? She's a witch. She's got death going around exploding people. I would yes, think that I she would agree. be able to fix a little thing like a disemboweling and a head chop. A little thing. I, 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 but see, that's I, the question. I don't know what her power set is. And I know that I've gotten into trouble on she this. She did ask them, though, what they wanted. And she said death. Yeah. So that's what she gave her. Now here's the question. You know, if, if, if she had said, can I have my intestines back? <laughs> would she have been able to do that? But like, but that's kind of where my, that's kind of where my issue comes up because it's like, you know, it is a very, I was nervous that the movie was going to go here because when you're, when you're updating something, it's like, okay, what's the story? Susie Banyan, who's like, just the sweetest most innocent person who doesn't realize that these people are drugging her every night and that's why she keeps falling asleep you know eventually goes and stabs helena marcos in the neck and and escapes as the place explodes like but wouldn't it be like a mind fuck if she was the mother suspiriorum all the time and it's just like yeah but only if you're not thinking about how important that character is to the movie's whole story. And so then they try to like balance it with the uh Joseph Klemper, Klemperer. And and he's not really much better <laughs> at all. And and he seems to serve just like you like you had said Alex, you know, he seems like this like nice innocent helpful guy and then you know, the witches like run out screaming at him, pull him in and say, like, believe women. And then and then later on, Dakota Johnson erases his memory. And like says it, the weirdest part is like that her line is like, I'll erase all these women who've like, you know, weighed so heavily on your mind. It's like that's a weird that's a weird turn for this movie to take. Like that's a weird almost last line to go out on to like say that like the memories of these women are hurting this man who may or may not have like given enough weight to the rising threat of Nazism in his country and gotten his wife killed. And his Plus, wife was a film that's primarily been about women up until now. Yeah. And she says like, we need guilt and shame, but not yours. And it's like, well, why the fuck not? Like, why is he special? Like, what did, what did he do that allows him to escape that? Is it because he like sort of believed Patricia, even though I was like, really turned around for some of the movie because I couldn't, he kept talking about like, this is the soul of transference and this is like what this is. And, you know, she was with these radical groups, but she was also transferring onto like, he seemed to instantly believe that there was something going on at the Academy and that maybe it was terrorism related, but also perhaps witchcraft. Like, so when they came out and screamed at him, like, you don't believe women, I was like, he's been doing nothing but believing Patricia this whole movie. Yeah. That's why he's getting murdered right now. I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I went on a rant. But basically, my, my, my big points boil down to the turn with Dakota Johnson's character negates almost all of her narrative function up to that point. And the thing with Dr. Klemperer only serves to muddy the waters of whatever point this movie could be trying to make beyond any comprehension for me. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm curious just to, I guess, 
help move the conversation along. Alex is the person who unequivocally loves this movie. Okay, I, I did, don't know. I don't know how I got into that position. <laughs> I, I'm curious wow. how you reacted to the Dakota Johnson is Mother Suspiriorum thing, especially since you were arguing so fully about like her masks and what it said, because the biggest mask of all was the thought that she wasn't one of the three mothers. Um, yeah, I guess I felt that, that it was kind of a narrative twist that also didn't seem that surprising because she kept, you kept thinking she was one thing and then you found out she was another and that she was deeper and deeper into this than you might've thought. So this seemed like just the next logical point. Um, but I have to say, like, I have not totally made sense of the ending. I feel like the film lays the groundwork for a lot of things and it has a lot of different ideas for like a couple of hours. And then the last half hour or even in the last like, 20, 10, 15 minutes, it just kind of smashes them all together, um, which I guess you guys are complaining about as being I mean, it's kind of funny because I think what you guys are calling that a bug and I'm calling that a feature. Um, like the thing that you didn't like about it is kind of the thing that I did like about it. And I think it's for the same reason. Like I, I like that it's not nailing home one specific point. It's just kind of raised a lot of interesting issues and ideas about the sort of unpleasant aspects of human nature that we like to ignore. Um, so the fact that it sort of didn't 100% make sense to me, didn't really bother me because I think that was kind of the point that just to unsettle you. Uh, and it had sort of done the work beforehand. I, I guess it didn't feel like, to me, it didn't feel like it had totally negated it. But I also haven't tried to rationalize it to the same degree that um, you have. I kind of just went, yeah, and then shit got real. <laughs> and I'm kind, of, I'm kind of okay with that, that that's sort of where it ended. For me, in a and, movie... And, then, and I think the other thing that happens there, too, is that their ritual involves a, uh, a dance, right? And so it's, it is also sort of this extension of the idea of dance is sort of almost like cult-like following behavior. I, I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I want, I want so badly <laughs> to, to figure it out, I guess uh, for me, you know, like I loved, I, you know, I've loved some crazy ass movies. Like I, I loved like annihilation, which goes real extreme and abstract and, and shit gets real. I, I loved mother, um, which, you know, does similar things and has, I guess, you know, you could say tread some similar ground, but is like in a holy, in a but it's whole... actual bullshit as opposed to this movie. <laughs> no, no, mother, mother this this movie catalyzed in my no, head like how great mother is because like uh, this I'm movie you, we're not doing a mother conversation. We're doing a mother conversation because you had to go and say that mother was shit and now I've got to defend it. Um like mother is is mother is like crazy allegorical like goes way over the top in that way and has a batshit crazy ending. But you sit down with it and you turn it over in your head and it's saying a lot of stuff that all coalesces into like a broader, a broader theme, like a broader idea. And this, I, I just, I don't have a lot of patience. So wankery. What was that? It sort of depends on whether you, if you want your stories to be Dickensian, like if you want every little narrative thread tied up in 
together, which is what, you know, Dickens makes sure that every single bloody narrative thread is tied up. <laughs> yeah, to his detriment right? at times. Um, <laughs> and, which I is mean, a hot take, I know. Slamming Mother, Dickens. <laughs> I mean, I still don't totally get what's going on with Mother, but it does make much more of a point of being like, and then these things are all connected. And so if you want that, that's Mother. That's your Dickensian story. And if you want something that just sort of... Happens? Yeah, or like Joycean, <laughs> say, where it doesn't necessarily have like all the threads tied up. And that's okay. That's but I would say yeah. Joyce was still... Joyce was still like plumbing a broader idea. And I just don't... I don't know what the... Like... I don't know. Maybe I am a simple man with simple tastes. Like, I don't need every single thread to be, like, patched up. Like, if someone gets a, a flat tire at some point, I don't need to know that they eventually got it patched. You know? But, like, I want to feel like the author had an idea that they were trying to get across. And that at some point they didn't just say, and then fuck it, some stuff happens. And, like, this movie has a real fuck it, some stuff happens sense to it. And it it doesn't... It, like like you we've talked about like the radio broadcasts and like the concept of like the terrorism going on in the German autumn and stuff like that and I don't need I don't need like for Mother Suspirium, Suspiriorum to like take hold of the coven and like begin teaching mm-hmm. dance and like for suddenly Germany to like tear down this wall like I don't need a montage that shows that but like I just need to know that like there was more thought put into it than also this was happening. And if, if someone wants to, they could probably make it fit. Like, well, I mean, I think there is, I mean, I don't know how to tie it 100% altogether, but I think it's just the idea of it's a film that has a lot of ideas instead of one. And And it's really, really intricately edited. I would imagine you get a better sense of how all of those pieces fit together when you actually watch it again and start to dissect that. I, but like, uh, I guess for me, the problem is there that like, again, you know, I didn't find the story or the characters or any of the plots and narratives like intriguing enough to to want to do it again. Like, it's not like, I don't know, oh, this is a bad example. It's not like Donnie Darko where I was like, you know, just a dumb teenager. And I was like, oh, yeah, like he really stuck it to those squares. And then that makes me go back and then like find out <laughs> other things like this movie. If you were if you were to like lobotomize the part of my brain that can look for like you know allegory and and deeper meaning and could only leave me like watching a movie with a plot as though it's like you know the original Suspiria, um, I just it wouldn't be satisfied by this movie and and thus I don't I don't have anything to go back for like it because well, I also don't think satisfy. I don't think there is a one to one like I, I don't think you're gonna find this means this and that means that. Yeah, and I to think me everything, that's everything kind of means a bunch of things. And to me, that's the difference between like if I'm cold and someone hands me like a very tightly woven blanket versus someone giving me all of the loose threads that could comprise that same blanket. Like it's it, it is a similar item to hand to me, technically, but one I mean, of them is a lot more satisfying and something that I would keep, whereas the other one is just frustrating and I get tangled in it and, and and just angry. Well, I mean, the flip side to that is, say, you, if somebody says, like, you know, what is the meaning of life? Well, someone could hand you the Bible and there's your answer. I mean, that's an ex- that's a huge oversimplification, but you know, there's mm-hmm. your answer. Somebody else could hand you here's a philosophy book, here's a book on the history of science, here's a book on the universe, here's a book on, you know, and then go. 
here's a book on human nature and then go figure it out. I mean, I think I'm not saying the film is quite that sophisticated, but I think it's doing something more on that level where it's, it's not giving you an answer, but it's giving you it's raising a bunch of bunch of questions. And I guess to me, it's just that that while that is a more complex and comprehensive thing to give me that's like a a library instead of just like a pamphlet i i still i find that to be the easier and perhaps lazier thing in my mind for an artist to do than for them to really try to like nail down a core concept and then give supporting documents to that you know like i i i wouldn't mind i haven't minded movies that have tried to give me morals or or ideas that I disagree with so long as like, again, the narrative itself stands up to, to scrutiny and everything that it's telling me like ties into that in an interesting way. And so for this one to just go, you know, here's a shit ton of confetti that used to be like a newspaper or something like, here's just everything at once and like sort through it. I'm just like, that's not my job. You're the storyteller. Like it's your goddamn job to to figure out what you want to get across and then and then tell me. And then for me to decide how I'm going to respond or react to that. Like the act of just printing out a shit ton of Wikipedia articles and handing it to me just doesn't appeal to me as much. I mean, I think I, I it's think... just a question of what you want from your stories. Like I yeah, and that just because I found it boring because it was like women's bodies are scary. Oh my God, women's bodies are scary. And like, I didn't need a movie to tell me that. And that's all I That's kind of all I got from it. And, you know, if, if you want to, and I'm not, you know, I understand lots of people love the film. Um, but to me, that's boring. And, you know, the flip side is, so this is interesting to me, but I could also see how it's, well, this is a lot. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much we agree about the different ways to deliver in a story, but also how much we disagree on which one of those is better. <laughs> I I think it's an interesting uh, contrast to with you know to bring it specifically into Guadagnino's filmography. I, you know, we we spoke a little bit about a bigger splash, and you know, um, I, I'll be relatively vague, but the third act involves a pretty strong detour. Uh, it involves the death of a character and it, be, and it introduces a, uh, a political uh, social ju- or not social justice, excuse me, social issue quality. But mm-hmm. like, that is something that, you know, it, 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 I, I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere. Again, I mean it as it's a very sharp detour and, and something that I nonetheless find messy, but you know, I didn't, I didn't find that unsatisfying. So I think what was interesting about this experience to me is that it was, you know, singularly Guadagnino in a number of different ways that reminded me of him. But it, it also, I, I think I did feel a little bit of what Brian's speaking about, you know, not only in terms of when it comes to the keys or lack thereof within the film, but rather that, when you spend so much time uh, building up these stories that are otherwise pretty linear, like I, I again, I I, I would obviously um, I, I would obviously hear disagreements, but I generally feel like this film is is uh, is pretty linear and and you know mm-hmm. ha- offers some. Um, 
you know, pretty coherent uh, interpretations for most of the early part. So I think it's just that when we get to that point and it, it kind of reveals what it's interested in, which is kind of a number of different tangled contradictions that, you know, like even – even like I, I have to say, like I, I was uh, talking this over with my partner, and we were going through a number of different interpretations of the of the ending. I, and she, interestingly enough, <laughs> before we got to the climax, was wondering if um, uh, Doctor Joseph uh, Klemper was actually going to be revealed as Tilda Swinton <laughs> because she thought that the makeup was so transparent um, mm-hmm. that it was none other. Like it, that's why it's again, just fascinating to me that I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to textually read this <laughs> as Tilda Swinton, but I, I, I digress. My point in saying that is that like, I, I think that what is ultimately odd and kind of frustrating about this is that it is a film that is so intricate and in what you were talking about that intricate editing in terms of bringing in so many different ideas and wanting to tell these two different stories and you know i wouldn't necessarily say that the screenwriters in guadagnino you know are put their hands up and say you figure it out but i i will say that the way that it plays out is at once offers far too many different permutations that don't make sense, but then is also extremely tidy. Like you speak of the, you speak of the, uh, again, the last sequence, which we talked about a little bit, which is the, uh, uh, sorry, Joseph and um, Anka uh, heart I, I, on the building. Like that is something that is a very um, specific capper. I don't think it's a specific capper to Suspiria, but it's certainly a specific capper to um, the story of Dr. Joseph Klemper. So that's that's where I'm ultimately at is like as much as that, you know, like <laughs> overambition is almost like characteristic of, of Guadagnino. It doesn't – it feels uh, – in- incoherent and not of a piece in a way that I think others do. And obviously this is just going to be a-, a thing we disagree with, but I think that's, that's ultimately what made this kind of a, an odd experience for me I- is again, how it can be both uh, incredibly ambiguous and tidy at the same time as mm-hmm. if, you know, it's, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm going starting to go in circles now, but I, I, that's where I'm at with this ending. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I, I think I think we've we've uh, we've beat this one to death by this point. We we have literally caressed it in our hands and made its head explode into a fountain of blood and. Yeah, I will. I do. That's where we're at. There's a couple things. Um, I just want to point out Susie's mother also plays death. Make of that Su- what you will. Su- yeah. Susie's mother. Yes. Oh, gotcha, so gotcha, the gotcha, actress yeah. who plays Susie's mother also plays death. Anka is Jessica Harper. That's Anka is Jessica Harper, the, uh, the actress from the original. Um, yes. I do. You know, it was weird, Michael, because I, and this is. 
I don't know how this why like wraps into the movie, but by the when they go into that sanctum, maybe it was just a projection issue at my theater. Did it start looking a lot worse and like flatter to anyone else on this podcast right now? Well, they started messing with the FPS. Oh yes, yes. It I know awful, that like it was shuddery really and liked. stuff, but like I'm talking about like even when like they let um, Joseph Klemper back out on the street, it just looked more video. Huh. And again, I could just be a projection issue at my theater. I was wondering, like, if is that was something I'm supposed to like read into, or is it just that, like, you know, the modern art of film projection has fallen? <laughs> it's like, um, what's well, both? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There was like a, it's like that time, the time that I was watching a, a movie on my TV in the early days of like cable video on demand, and it took me like a good five minutes to realize that it wasn't an artistic choice to not have any sound that there was just something <laughs> wrong with my stream yeah exactly <laughs> i think it was i think it was compliance i think like i was watching oh wow. so, i was watching compliance by like vod or something and i was just like Oh, it's like really moody how they don't have literally any sound. And then like someone walks into a room and starts speaking and like there's still nothing. And I was like, OK, clearly I'm doing this wrong. Oh, boy. Yeah. So um, so I was curious about that. Um, And it, it is, you know, Michael, like you said, it is kind of weird that like the final image of this film is like the painted over A and J on that building. You know, before the post credit sequence. <laughs> oh, fuck. Was there a post credit sequence? There was. Oh, I think only no. one other critic actually saw it in Toronto. Oh, aside man. from me, everybody else left. Wait, wait, wait. So wait what, what was it? What was what it? I'm curious now. What was your interpretation of it, Alex? I, uh, my partner explained her interpretation. Oh, I just thought it was cheeky. I mean, I didn't really think it had like deeper meaning. It was just being fun. Wait, but what was it? Like, what happened? It is uh, a shot of Dakota Johnson... Uh, essentially marking something off we don't see what it is uh i it was just suggested to me that she is taking marcos off the name of the school oh hmm. i don't know if, I, I don't know if that's true but again yeah they do not show what it is and then it just i ends. mean that would make sense because i think um i think one of the threads that goes throughout the film is same same people same place we're acting like it's something different hmm. um you know like same old nazis just not calling themselves nazis mm-hmm. <laughs> um or you know it's uh, yeah and so i think that the if that's what's happening and the painting over of the 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 house that seems all of a piece to me well We'll just have to wait for the sequel, which could potentially happen. <laughs> Are you? Is that is that a real thing, or is Michael just talking about this? I think they've talked about it because I know Luca Guadagnino has talked about doing a sequel to Call Me by Your Name. Yeah, well, they go back to the summer house, tentatively and, you know, titled Call Me by Their Name. Oliver's wife is now Dakota Johnson, and they think they're just going to have a nice idyllic weekend, and before they know it, they're getting claws stabbed into them or whatever those like ivory stabbed into them <laughs> and that's the end of elio and oliver <laughs> wow. he's also doing an adaptation of blood on the tracks so 
he's keeping busy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is, I mean, uh, what was it? This is, this, what is, uh, Call Me By Your Name came out last year, did it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yes. so he is, he's keeping busy. He's got his, he's got his work going. Good for Luca. Um, I'm still looking forward to enjoying a movie of his. <laughs> Have you not liked any of them? Nope. Wow. Okay. I know. And I, you know, but it, it's weird because it's not like, it's, it's not like Alex Ross Perry. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> listeners of this show who've been here with us for a while, you can take a drink. Um, it's not like <laughs> Alex Ross Perry where I've like thrown the gauntlet down and said, fuck it. I'm never watching one of these again. And it becomes like a joke. Like I'm still interested. Yeah. I still see things like I wouldn't even say this. I wouldn't say like this is a bad movie. I just didn't like it. Like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not like the color wheel or listen up, Philip, where I just like couldn't <laughs> understand why anyone <laughs> ever would like these goddamn movies. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Oh, thank God. All right. And I always love to end on finding something that, you know, someone who I disagreed with also hates. I, w- one more that's a, a relatively divisive one. Uh, Alex is quite vocal about her dislike of La La Land. Yes. So she would have fit right in on this podcast. <laughs> that was a super weird episode, though, because we were the only three critics, as far as I knew, in creation who didn't like that movie. And we all happened to be on this same podcast. And we hated it. And we didn't talk to each other beforehand. So none of us knew. Because one of us was bound to like it. You know, it was very weird. Um, tales from the award season episodes of the film stage show. <laughs> And um, yeah, any any final thoughts on this? It's out in theaters now. I uh, saw it in a, frankly, almost completely empty theater. I'm not sure how it's doing. I'm not sure how well it ever could have done. This is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think if nothing else, it will generate conversation. So take somebody with you and then have an interesting conversation afterwards. Agreed. I have to say, too, the marketing for this has not been very good. No. I really don't think it's – it's – if you're not even familiar with the name, like, that marketing, which is, like, enigmatic, but enigmatic to a fault, like, is not going to get anybody, you know, in the theater who's not familiar with this story. The the only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes or the first 130? (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I didn't see a single trailer for this movie before I went and saw it. And that's not because I, like, was trying to, like, keep myself away. I just never happened. Um, Yeah. And and so, like, the only pictures I'd seen had been, like, you know, uh, Dakota Johnson with her red hair. Which, by the way, we just have to stop giving non-redheads red hair. Like, it's... (laughs) It never works well in film. It just never looks real. Um, and also, I think it was like, a really wow. bad wig, wasn't it? Was it? A, it I, I thought <laughs> it, it was like a really, a really bad, wig. bad wig. I was almost certain it was a terrible wig, and so like it made me think of um, Amber Heard in fucking Aquaman. I was just like, God, these redheaded wigs. But then I just didn't <laughs> want to believe that a wig in a movie like this would be that bad. <laughs> so I thought maybe they just parted her hair weird, and it was like settling strange. Anyway. Um, and so I'd seen like that and then the the rope dresses. They've really been leaning on like the rope costumes. Yeah. Which um I didn't like that yeah. much. I didn't think that they were good. I didn't think they were particularly oh, like visually interesting. They really just gave I me a lot the of anxiety. Design in this. Yeah, so do I. 
Mm. I think like even if I were to say to if I were to stop trying to say that the story is interesting, I would still be pro this film just because I think the costumes and the editing and the sound are so interesting. And so well done. Um, just talking about trailers and stuff. This is a fun, short little tangent before we leave. Um, the, the previews before this film, interesting mix of dramas and horror <laughs> movies. The one of them was oh, what called, did you get? I, I got the one I want to speak about specifically was La Llorona. No idea. What there's so there's a movie coming out called La Llorona, and it's like got. Isn't that a fable? Or I, urban legend? Okay, so that's like the that? thing. I'm watching this, and it like takes place in a city, and it's about like a weeping woman, and it's got Linda Cardellini as like a mom whose children are being threatened or something. Mm. I am familiar with La Llorona, and Bill, maybe you're aware of this too, because in Texas, there is a creek called Woman Hollerin Creek. What? Mm-hmm. It's 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 so if you drive if you drive through Central Texas at some point on Interstate 10, you will cross over Woman Hollerin Creek, which is the greatest name for any mm. body of water ever. And it's because the original people who came there just completely massacred the translation of La Llorona, which means mm-hmm. the weeping woman, and they just said, "Oh, there's a woman hollering." And um So I saw that and I was super excited because the trailer starts off with like, you know, someone talking to a Catholic priest. It's like, Father, are you aware of like the legend of La Llorona? And I was like, oh, is this about woman hollering creek and how there's a ghost who drowns people? And it's not. But I was very sad about that. And then there was just like, I don't know, Ouija 3 and a bunch of other nonsense. So they really have no idea who they're marketing to. Yeah, that's my favorite. (laughs) My favorite thing is when I sit down for a movie and the trailers are like kids film with a talking dog rated R James Wan horror film <laughs> this uh romance about a gay baker and also I don't know Wait, maybe talking penguins and it's just like I know what I know what the gay baker one is that one looks good <laughs> I was joking is that a movie yeah it's an Iranian film it's oh, called that sounds, uh, that sounds great <laughs> no that's not it I was just pulling. Are you talking about the Israeli film, The Cake Maker? Yes, that's the one. (laughs) Not not Iranian. Apologies. (laughs) Wow. Uh, We just we just lost five reviewers. (laughs) Yeah, we can't afford to bleed any more people. Anyway, go look up Woman Holler and Creek. It's just a hilarious. It's also just hilarious because you're driving along and you're not expecting to see woman holler and creek anyway uh so that's it for today we should have ended 10 minutes ago but i for some reason needed to talk about this obscure creek in texas and um yeah the normal stuff uh go to patreon.com slash film stage show give us your money and of course don't forget to go to movie.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial of movie where again you can see the howling by joe dante Again, 30-day free trial, M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage. And next week, we don't know what we're talking about. Maybe it'll be Nutcracker in the Four Realms. It will not. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to see a whole movie with Kira Knightley doing whatever the hell she's doing? That's not Kira Knightley. Is it? Is it? Isn't it? No. She's not the human. She's the sugar plum fairy. Uh, she's got a real geez. weird baby voice. Also, weird. it's got Helen Miram and uh, 
Morgan Freeman. Anyway, no, we're not going to do that. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Obviously, I'm the only person who has been deeply interested in uh, (laughs) Lasse Hallstrom and Joe Joe Johnson's Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Joe Johnson? Is that even coming out next week? I'm pretty sure it came out this weekend. It came out this weekend. Oh, gotcha. One of the lowest Disney openings in years. Good. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's let our guest go and and find something more valuable to do with her time. Um, let's tell the Instead fine people attacked. at home where we can be found between now and the next episode. Alex, why don't you kick us off? Where can people find more of your work online? Yeah, so you can find all of my writing on Seventh Row. That's seventh-row.com s-e-v-e-n-t-h-r-o-w.com and you can find me on twitter at bwestcineast that's b-w-e-s-t-c-i-n-e-a-s-t-e that's bwestcineast you can follow the publication which i run seventh row on twitter um the number seven the row and i've got two podcasts where you can also find me we did a suspiria episode on the seventh row podcast and i also run a shakespeare podcast called the 21st folio all right bill graham uh you can find me on twitter at cable bfg uh i will be using umbrellas all this week uh feel free to come at me um And you can find me on the Slack channel, just mixing it up, talking about uh, Taken and Virtua Fighters and uh, Kit Fisto. Woo! God, yeah, sure. Okay. And Roger Jr. Um, (sighs) Michael Snydell. You can find me on Twitter at at Snydell. I, I where I will be brushing up on my German politics in the seventies, and uh, you know I'm gonna just plug it one last time because it was a lot of work. Uh, me and Max O'Connell did a uh, two podcast episodes about the Chicago International Film Festival. We talked about over twenty films. Oh my god! Um, yeah, it's like three hours in total. Uh, Listen to it. Some of the things might even be coming near you soon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And of course, you can find me at my personal site, brianjrowan.com, dearfilm.net. And um, find me on Twitter at brianjrowan. Again, I'm not creative coming up with names. So if you go to any social media site and type in Brian J. Rowan, you'll probably find me. Um, That is all, really. And of course, you can find every episode of this show and more writings from all of us at filmstage.com. And that is it for this week. We don't know what we're doing next week. Follow us on Twitter to find out. (laughs) Probably. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much and tune in next time.